0: Good evening, everybody. It's great to be able to continue the series on Revelation. Before we start our study tonight, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you that once again we can come into your presence by means of what Jesus did and accomplished on the cross for us. We are grateful to you, Lord, that you made a way for us to be reconciled to you and that we have the opportunity to come this evening just to study your word once again. We just thank you, Lord, that you have revealed so much in your word about what is going to happen in the future. And we just thank you again for the opportunity that we have to just look at and study your word and be encouraged and blessed as we do that this evening. We just thank you for this in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. As we've discussed before, prophecy reveals the purposes of God and God wants us to know what is actually going to be happening in the future. There are certain things that he has revealed to us um, and God's way of doing that is through his word. That is his vehicle for communicating to us what is actually going to take place in the future. And when the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah reached almost uh, intolerable, intolerable proportion. God first went to Abraham and told him what he was going to do to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we read about that in Genesis 18. And the purpose of this is God is wanting to show Abraham what he was going to do. And we read in Genesis 18, verse 17 and 18, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to be doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And then God divulged the future to Abraham. Otherwise, Abraham might have questioned God and said, well, why did God do that? What was his purpose in actually destroying every single person in those two cities? And God revealed his purpose to Abraham so that when the destruction took place, Abraham would understand that God was a holy God and that he would not tolerate the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as we study prophecy and looking at the book of Revelation, and we look at the economic and political events that are taking place worldwide, even at our present time, that will eventually bring the Antichrist to power, God has revealed in his word exactly what his purposes are, and it demonstrates beyond any doubt that God knows the end, from the beginning, and He is the one that is orchestrating events on the earth to fulfill His exact purposes. And as we've seen and looked at before, uh, prophecy demonstrates God's ability to be able to know the future. And Second Peter 1 says this, Second Peter 1, 19-21, We have the prophetic word confirmed which you'll do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing first that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter had read the writings of Zechariah, Isaiah, Daniel and the other prophets He'd been an eyewitness to their fulfillment in the first uh, coming of Jesus, reflecting the astonishing accuracy of what the prophets wrote about the first coming of Jesus. And Peter wanted us to know when he wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that what God says to us is 100% correct. When we look at what humans communicate to us, we can never be completely sure and trustworthy of what humans communicate because distortions can creep in. But when God speaks, the communication to us and what God says is totally and completely perfect and accurate. And so what we look at in accuracy in um, biblical prophecy is accurately going to come past because we've already seen it happen in the first coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came the first time, the Bible predicted the time period of Jesus' birth as described in Daniel chapter 9 when we looked at Daniel's 70 weeks. Jesus' virgin birth is detailed in Isaiah 7.14. The place of his birth is forecast in Micah 5 verse 2. Um, The way in which Jesus was going to die is depicted in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, and his resurrection is prophesied in Psalm 16 verse 10. These are only some of the scriptures pertaining to Jesus' first coming. And because they were fulfilled, fulfilled with incredible accuracy, we know that What is prophesied about the second coming of Jesus is going to be fulfilled exactly the way God has written about it in his word. So let's continue. Revelation chapter 2. We are now going to be looking at the compromising church, the church in Pergamos. Revelation 2 verse 12. And to the angel in the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell and where Satan's throne is and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, uh, Pergamos or Pergamum. Um, that was also in the area of Turkey and Asia Minor. It was about 20 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. It was the capital of the Roman province of Asia Minor for about uh, 250 years and it was a very important religious center for the pagan cults of uh, Athenia, Ascleopius, Uh, which is um, the god of medicine, and also Bacchus, which is the god of drunkenness. And where John writes here, where the Lord is instructing him to write this letter to the church, he says there, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. This particular city or town was the headquarters of satanic opposition, and it was a gentile base for many, many false religions. And the city was uh, on situated on an acropolis or an outcrop of uh, large rock, and we mentioned there that. Um, one of the gods that was worshipped there was um, Asclepius, the god of healing. And this was the god that was most associated with Pergamos. His snake-like form is still used by the medical profession. It's the symbol that the medical profession uses today. And there was a very famous medical school that was connected to his temple there. And what they did was they mingled medicine with superstition. And one prescription that was prescribed to the worshippers of this particular God of healing was to sleep on the temple floor and allow snakes to crawl over them. And Antipas, that is mentioned there where the Lord says, in the days of Antipas was my faithful martyr. Antipas was probably the pastor of the church and he was martyred for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam tried unsuccessfully to prostitute his prophetic gift and curse Israel. We read about that uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, he also uh, offered his services to Balak and Balak, Uh, offered him money. Balak was the king of Moab to actually curse the Israelites. And uh, the Lord says here that uh, I have a few things against you, those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put stumbling blocks before the children of Israel. And the stumbling blocks that were put there uh, before them was that uh, he devised a plot Uh, This particular king devised a plot to have Moabite women seduce Israelite men into into marriage uh, between the Israelites and the uh, people of Moab. And this actually resulted in a a union uh, between Israel and Moab, which was actually disastrous because the Moabites actually uh, led them into idolatry. And he says there that uh, Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, to commit sexual immorality, thus you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We covered that in last week's uh, teaching about what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is, which thing I hate. And then the Lord says in verse 16, repent or else I will come quickly and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. To him who overcomes... um, The Lord says there, I will give some of the hidden manna. Just as Israel got manna from God when they were in the wilderness, so the believer gets spiritual bread from the Lord in an unbelieving world. And it's the Lord that actually sustains us. And when he talks there about, and I will give him a white stone, uh, in that particular time when an athlete won in the athletic games, he was given as part of his prize a white stone, which was almost like an admission pass to the winner's celebrations that would happen afterwards. This might also just picture when we will receive, um, if you want to use this word, our ticket to the eternal victory celebration in heaven. And a new name, it's a personal message from Christ to the one he loves, and... Uh, that it's a personal invitation to us, and that person only will know what it is that he's receiving, because it says there, he will get a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Revelation 2, verse 18, we now go on to the church in Thyatira, and this is known as the corrupt church. Uh, Thyatira was the smallest of the seven cities um, that these letters were written to. It didn't have any temple there that was devoted to any particular emperor or god. So Christians here were not as troubled by idolatry as what the churches were in some of the other cities. Verse 18, And to the angel in the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service and faith and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols." Again here, where the Lord speaks about uh, Jezebel, it was probably a woman who had a tremendous amount of influence in the way in which Jezebel actually influenced the Old Testament Israelites into Uh, idolatry and into immorality and um, the Lord says here that um, you have allowed a woman here who calls herself a prophetess to actually teach people about things which the Bible actually speaks against and The Lord goes on to say that indeed I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. The Lord was going to give this woman, whoever she was, time to repent. But if she did not, um, God was going to uh, bring about judgment upon her and he was going to. Um, uh, cast her onto a sickbed as well as those who commit adultery with her in great uh, tribulation. And again, where it talks about tribulation, there it's not talking about the great tribulation that we're looking at. It's that, that they would really experience a time of difficulty. And always remember that when God actually brings about judgment, he has a redemptive purpose in mind because God always wants us to repent and to turn from our evil ways. Verse 23, the Lord goes on to say about this particular prophetess, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches sh- shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts And I will give to each one of you according to his works. Always the basis of future judgment, okay, is that um, God judges according to what you do. And this woman was leading people into idolatry and into sexual immorality. And the Lord was extremely unhappy with the influence that this woman had. Now I say to you, verse 24, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast to what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with the rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like potter vessels. And I have also received from my Father and will give to him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now the Lord is just encouraging the church here. He is saying here in verse 27 that he shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. Um, This is something that is going to actually happen during the millennial kingdom when the Lord will actually enforce his will and he will protect his sheep and he will rule with an iron uh, scepter and he will um, protect anyone who seeks to harm those Uh, people. This is what that is referring to uh, in this particular passage of Scripture. The morning star, John later reveals that Christ is the bright and morning star, although the morning star has already dawned in our hearts. We read that uh, in 2 Peter 1 uh, verse 19 in uh, the very, very first session that we uh, looked at with regards to understanding uh, Bible prophecy. And um, This is an encouragement uh, to the church. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God doesn't want us to be led astray. Uh, And these churches were being led astray by various different doctrines. Um, By the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, what uh, Balaam did, uh, what Balak did. And also what this prophetess was doing, leading people into uh, immorality and immorality and into uh, um, worship of, of idols. Now we're going on to the dead church. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel in the church of Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. Sardis was uh, situated also on a natural acropolis, rising about uh, 1,500 feet above the floor of a valley. Um, And this was a city that was known for uh, harvesting wool and then dyeing it and making garments uh, from it. Um, And the church here, the Lord says there in uh, verse 1, he says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. This church was basically full of people that were unredeemed and unregenerated, that they had not come to a knowledge of experiencing the new birth and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says to them uh, in um, verse 3, Remember therefore you have... Received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a a thief. You will not know what hour I come upon you. Those who have defiled their garments, what it's talking about here, it's to smear or pollute or to stain And garments here, although it's it's not referring to actual garments, it's actually referring to the character of the people. And there were very few people here whose character was still godly. And when we look at white garments in scripture, white speaks of holiness and purity. And uh, as we've seen here, people that were part of this church were actually dead. And the Lord says, you know what? Repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you when you least expect it like a thief, and you will not know what hour I come upon you. Verse 4, you have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. We see here there is a reference to the book of life, where the Lord says there, I will not blot his name out of the book of life. It's a book which records the names of all those that God has chosen to save and who therefore possess eternal life. And where God has chosen to save us, we read in Ephesians 1 verse 3, where Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The doctrine of election is something that we read about. It's emphasized right through Scripture. And God's election or where he chooses us or predestines us, um, it doesn't operate apart from our own responsibility to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So here, God says to them, um, you have a few insiders who have not defiled their garments, and he who overcomes shall be clothed in the white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the the book of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we see in these letters that God is actually uh, encouraging the churches to holy living, not to be involved In the worship of idols not to be involved in sexual immorality is encouraging us to holy living and we see in Scripture that the Lord encourages us to be holy even as he is holy that is where we're going to conclude our study for tonight if you've been listening to what we've been talking about uh, during our study on the book of Revelation And if you've never had an opportunity to actually commit and give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and experience forgiveness of sins and know that you have eternal life and that you have your name written in the book of life as it is referred to here in the book of Revelation. In uh, Revelation 1 verse 5, Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin because the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. So we don't have any hope. If we go into the next life, if we die and we come before the Lord, and we've never asked Him to forgive us, we're going to go to a lost eternity because salvation is a free gift. It's something that we cannot earn. The Scripture tells us that the only way that we can be saved is in and through the name of Jesus. And Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin, As we saw at the beginning when we were studied, He came to this earth fulfilling all the prophecies written about Him in the Old Testament. He died on the cross for our sin, paid the price for our sin, that if we put our faith and trust in Him, believe in Him, call on His name, ask Him to forgive us, repent from our evil ways, He will forgive us and grant us eternal life. And eternal life is also not only eternal existing forever it's knowing the person of jesus christ so salvation is a free gift and if you've never done that i would encourage you to consider giving your life to the lord jesus christ father we just thank you again for this time that we've been able to study your word i just pray that it has once again just been an encouragement to everybody that has been listening And we just thank you again for our time that we've had to be able to just look at biblical prophecy where you've revealed to us exactly how things are going to pan out in the end. We just thank you for this in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus. Amen.